You're listening to the Shire Fit Podcast. This series, Max and Johnny explore how to become the master of your mindset. Go. I think it's working. Is it recording? Yeah. There we go. Okay. Welcome back. Sorry. Technology wins. Yes. We are attempting another recorded podcast so you can see us. Um, Natalie requested a video version of the podcast and so did my mum. Really? So two... My mum doesn't got two even fans know I do there. this, to be fair, so I should send it to her. And then we'll so have three views. We've got two YouTube. fans who want to look at us. I mean, yeah, it's like... Your we, wife. We might need a, another box to like... You don't think the angle's any good? I think the angle's quite bad. It's good for the biceps. Yeah. I just don't try that Anyway, um, this is week uh, eight, final podcast of the uh, Mindset series. We're then going to move on to the movement series after that, guys. So uh, lots to look forward to. Um, we have a jam-packed agenda for you guys today. First question is uh, a choice between lifestyle, food, or exercise for weight loss, which will be really interesting to hear Johnny's thoughts on that. The strength section is um, lifting with a rounded back, um, and we're going to tackle that misconception that you shouldn't lift without uh without a straight back yeah that's what i mean Mm. (laughs) Uh, and then the workout guys is about preparing yourself mentally for a tough workout i mean this is the bread and butter of crossfit isn't it how do you deal with those difficult workouts you've got coming up and we're going to break down some reasons why you might be struggling mentally and then give you some solutions and some things you can do to help combat that so starting off with the warm-up question which is from an anonymous source this week. I liked how you called them Ananette. Ananette. Yeah. For anyone who listens to the Crouch podcast or what's it called? The Therapy Crouch. Is like I is? do. Yeah, it's well funny. Anyway. I like uh, that. Peter, <laughs> Crouch, good words. Peter Crouch's wife. I forget her name now. What's it she called? Something. That shows how much I listen to the podcast, doesn't it? What's that noise? Got some buzzing. Is that, that might be my fault. Let me turn that off. Interference. Um, what's her name? I'm really losing it now. No, wait, wait, I've got to get it, I've got to get well, it. Well, why don't you just Abby Clancy. There you go. That's right. it, Abby Clancy. <laughs> she was reading out a question from the listeners and she, and it was blah, blah, blah. What should I do about this situation from a non Right. Shortened anonymous. Yeah. She thought it was an actual person. Okay. So she she went out, <laughs> said Anon from Anon. <laughs> so then they take the piss every week and say right. it's from Anon or yeah. Anonette. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this question's from Anonette. It'd have been funnier if you had an American accent because you'd be like Anon. Anon. Nice to know <laughs> so the question is if you have to pick between lifestyle, food, or exercise, you only allowed one for weight loss, which one would you pick? Over to you, Johnny. Lifestyle. Me too. Why? And the reason why is because the science around weight loss is much more complex than we're led to believe, right? And, and even me, I've done a lot more um, reading, education, a lot more science has come out since I first started practicing nutrition, as if I'm like a doctor, <laughs> like working with nutrition around the Consultant. kind of like energy in and energy out model, right? And how that applies to us as humans and how we're not in a closed system. So it's not like just putting a human into a Bunsen burner and be like, energy is energy, right? Like yeah. There's a lot of mechanisms that happen within the body. So when you start to reduce food, depending on the person, because the influence on the individual is always different, right? Which is why two people do the same thing, different results. Mm-hmm. 
the mechanisms, the mechanisms by which the body adapts to the reduction in food vary from individual to individual, but they do exist, right? So you might start with a reduction in food that produces a certain amount of weight loss, and rather than that being a linear thing, so you just lose the same amount of weight every week, that starts to tail off, right? And that doesn't always correlate with the amount of weight lost. Like a lot of people might say, oh, well, that is going to be the case because you weigh less, so therefore you're burning less energy. It's not just that. That is a factor, but it's also the fact that you're body increases um it's uh sorry it slows down its metabolism like it will slow down the way that it burns energy it will lower its movement it will lower the exercise induced um thermogenesis so the amount you burn through exercise all of these things happen it will digest more from food you know because it's like it's getting less food so like let's take in more energy it will absorb more calories from the food it eats and so all of those things can happen right and then eventually you plateau and then you get hungrier as well which is an adaptation and then you start eating more and then you eventually exercise similar thing if you create that deficit then your body's gonna be like oh man we need more food and so like hunger is a big thing as is just the desire for more food for more energy and that's when like cravings come into play so like a big thing now that there's a reason why all of these weight loss drugs are coming out into the market because we're getting to know that people who are bigger potentially not always but potentially have a lowered um leptin response which is the fullness hormone as well as just like more ghrelin in the system which is the hunger hormone which leads to like more cravings and more hunger generally for them to eat more food and so with lifestyle if you have an active job compared to a sedentary job you're more likely to just move more right you're moving more throughout the day and that has a really massive effect on your overall health as well as potentially your physique to other people, right? So if you're a farmer or a builder or a, any tradesperson or whatever, where you're like moving throughout the day all the time, carrying, lifting, moving, lifting, moving, walking, that's very different to being sat behind a desk for eight hours every day and trying to get in your 10,000 steps. So it's like, and also your then relationship with your work, your work-life boundaries, uh, everything going on around you in terms of like kids, stress, all of that affects the hormonal balance within your system, which can also have then an impact on your physique as well. So it's like we said the other week, I think our 21st century hustle culture has a lot to play with the reduced health of the population. And I think that can be taken away from the weight issue, particularly when you look at the studies that show people who engage in certain lifestyle habits can have the same risk of all cause mortality, irrespective of their BMI. What about you? I agree, but I know none of the science. Um, right. Just anecdotally, yeah. you if literally look at people who have active lifestyles, i.e., like you say, work in trades, farms, you know, coach for a living, walking around loads, whatever, whatever their job is that makes them active or whatever their lifestyle is, they on the weekends instead of, you know, coming to the gym for an hour and then sitting and watching telly because they're knackered, you mm. know. Uh, the people who go out and I go know, hiking, kayak, kayak, well. yeah, whatever, yeah, kayak, like rock yeah, climbing, yeah. whatever. Yeah. Generally, anecdotally, in the purest sense of like, if you step back, look at them people with active lifestyles, generally don't have weight issues. So, and but not always, but yeah, like that would be yeah, the yeah. bigger player in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Uh, I also think there's something to be said for like, yeah, I just don't think you can separate the three. I feel like life, like when you have a better lifestyle, you sleep better yeah. you eat better you have less ghrelin in the system you know mm -hmm. like rap generally well it's why so. it's, it's why when you start looking at the weight and health issue right because i know that i bang on about this a lot but 
when you look at the numbers of people that actually died due to obesity, that's the, the Catherine Flegel paper, which is much, much more robust and scientifically accurate than the one that the American guidelines actually took on board. Like she actually got like massively ostracized through her data, even though when you look at it, it's like, this is really solid data. And a lot of other people backed her apart from people who had big government policies. And then I know that I sound like I've got a tinfoil fat on, tinfoil hat on, but there was a lot of stuff around like insurance premiums and like weight loss drugs and weight loss diets and surgery and all of the money that that brings, particularly because the American health model is privatized. Yeah. Right. Oh, mate, don't worry. You don't sound like a conspiracy theorist to me. <laughs> so, so, but it's looking at Catherine Flegel's paper, which yeah. I can link to the show notes of this episode, for example. She stratifies for socioeconomic issues and all the rest of it. And the people who are then heavier and struggling with health are also the people from like poorer backgrounds, unsafe uh, areas, mm. working two or three jobs just to feed yeah. their families. It's like, that's the real shit of like the cost of living mm. and socioeconomic issues for someone's lifestyle is massive, yeah. right? Like how can you have an active lifestyle if you have to work two jobs yeah, that are both desk-based yeah. yeah. just to put, just to pay your mortgage, yeah. just to pay your electric bill. Right. And it's like <laughs> our government's like, Oh no, we won't, we won't reduce bills, but we will charge more money for sugary drinks. Mm. It's like you are missing the mark so much. Yeah. yeah. On that point about show notes, by the way, that's a little bit of feedback that I got. Oh, for show notes? Um, yeah. Um, so, someone... Uh, it's always a great idea. Craig, it was. Craig Hornby said, um, could you please link some of the like texts and documents and things like yeah. I'll, in the show notes? I'll send you Catherine Fiegel's two papers and then like the yeah. things for that, because that's a big factor for sure. Yeah. Johnny will send them. Whether I can technically put them in the show notes or not is another question. <laughs> Okay, wicked. Uh, on to our strength section then, which is um, the our take on the concept that you shouldn't lift with a flexed slash rounded back. Uh, I'll jump in on this yeah, one, you go give first, you a yeah. bit of a rest. So, um, it's just not true, uh, is my first response. So, I've changed my mind on this recently. Like, when I say recently, in the last two or three years, maybe. You know, when I first started coaching, yeah. everything was about... If you don't have a um, straight back when you lift weight, um, you'll put sheer force on the spine when you flex, and as a result, you will end up with an injury, Um, which now I'm pretty sure is a load of toffee. Mm -hmm. Um, What it it misses out, the key part of that is that it puts a greater sheer force on the spine to be in a flex position, yes. But if your spine can tolerate that shear force, there's not an unsafe position, right? Mm-hmm. So now I've changed my mind and my philosophy, and you've probably noticed it in the program and the training that we do, in that we need to train all positions mm-hmm. to make all positions strong. Um, you've mentioned rotationally, flexed, extended, neutral, all different ranges, mm-hmm. so that we're strong across all different ranges, so that when in real life we have to pick something up, because generally... You know, you're picking things up from the floor from a deeper range. You're probably going to flex a little bit. You're going to mm. be okay. What would you say about um, the position that the back then moves through under load? Because like some people say, okay, well, lift flex. Like if you're lifting a sandbag or an atlas stone, you've got to be flexed. Yeah. But then you keep it flexed, really. And they're like, well, you don't do. You do actually straighten as you stand up. Yeah. And the back and hip extension on the GHD machine, for example, is an exact way to practice that yeah. hip flexion the back flexion and then the back fle- extension and the hip extension at the same time. So yeah. would you say again, if you train it, you're fine? Yeah, programming and load, I'd say. So it's all about like load management. People get injured when they do things that they're not prepared for. Yeah. 
and um, training and enter positions that are not prepared for. Yeah. So yeah, training different. I, I think actually you need to train flexed and stay in flexed. You yeah. need to train extended and stay in extended. You need to train neutral and stay in neutral. Yeah. You need to change swapping in all these positions as well. I agree. Being able to. Well, because uh, then, because life doesn't in a neutral spine. That's why a Jefferson curl is an exercise. Yes. Because you have to start flexed and finish I extended. Understand. Yeah. And, you know, some really fit people I know will just hurt their back, like picking shit up off the floor. Yeah. And you're like, because you're not like, ooh, I'm going to go, like, put my washing down. Like, it will make sure I hip hinge and then knee flex. And yeah. then, like, you know, you just bend over and pick up the yeah. kids' nappy off the, well, the nappy that's going to be on the floor, is it? <laughs> Not a parent yet, guys. Yeah. But, like, you know, you're just going to pick something off the floor. Like, my brother, fit guy, yeah. 35, so he's not old, but he works at a desk all fucking day. And the movement that he does is first thing in his home gym. And it's like what we said off air. Planes of motion is a different thing to, like, ranges of motion. So, you know, everything in, in CrossFit is, is very much up and down, like mm-hmm. squatting, deadlifting, you know, pushing but you don't really do a lot of like rotational or like side to side, like lateral work. And I think the more that you can do that, you know, do, do a cross yeah. body single, well, exactly, yeah. Cross body single leg deadlift, you know, as you like hip hinge and back flexion and like bring up and all that, like that's the stuff that's going to prepare you for real life. Yeah. Not pulling a 200 kilo deadlift and then, oh, pulled my back, picking up my socks off. Yeah, yeah. That, that, you'd be surprised how many times you hear that. Like people that's what happened deadlift then. 160 and then they put the socks on and just yeah, going into the actual injury stuff is quite interesting as well. In that, most people hurt their back and then they'll go and get a scan, let's say, and a doctor will um scan. A <laughs> dogs have arrived at the podcast, <laughs> classic shy fit, yeah, guest, guest entry. Um, yeah, so people will hurt their backs, they'll get scanned. And the scan will show, or may, may not show anything. So this is the complex part of pain, oh, yeah, complex yeah. part of injuries. I'm not a physio. I've got a really good but, document on this, actually. But oh, here we go. In the show notes. So yeah, um, there are you know studies which show people who have herniated discs, as per the scans, that manifest no pain signals whatsoever. And there are also shows, studies that show people without herniated discs, which show incredible amounts of pain and can barely move and immobilized mm-hmm. my response to that is that yeah pain is far much more complex than we give it the credit of it is not something is mechanically wrong and that's why we're in pain i think some most of the time we get a pain signal to stop us from doing things that we don't want we're not prepared for or we don't like doing or we can't actually do properly i agree um, and so yeah so um the whole flex rounded thing is people will probably get pain signals in a flexed spine or a rounded spine when they've not trained it, when they've not prepared it, and they're potentially um, in a position that they're loaded that they're not ready for. Mm, yeah. Also, just to go on to a final touch on this, is how ridiculous are the manual handling? Uh, this is how you should lift a box up. Oh, like example. a shit at work, just a safety at work. Yeah, like it makes me just annoying. Oh, my God. It, but, oh my God. I mean, how is that still a lot of like, policies and things are just absolutely... How is that still a thing? Right? Like... Yeah squat down to use your legs to pick up a box like mm. it's the worst position you You're can get into yeah like it, squat. oh my yeah, god yeah. i just can't believe that they're still promoting that that's how you should pick a box but up, it's like. because of the risk of somebody getting that pain signal and then suing them yeah that's the thing and, and your thing about pain is great cause it is really complex and pain is a warning sign mm. but your warning sign might be incorrectly patterned Mm. So like it's there to stop you from hurting yourself, mm. but 
that might be a fear-based, a fear-induced pain of like, I'm worried I'm going to hurt myself. Yeah. And then the, the pain comes in as a response. So as I said, I've got a really good uh, like Canva document that I got sent from um, an American practitioner called Lucy who, who works a lot on this. And she has like a mindful movement course that she uses to help people then like improve their ranges of motion. She works, she's got a small group gym in the US mm-hmm. and they get a lot of like older people who have potentially been in a lot of pain and then they get them lifting, you know, like ramp squats and like trap bar deadlifts yeah. and things. Cause it's about re-patterning yeah. the pattern without yeah. pain. There's this whole community out there of, and it's called anti-fragile um, growing. I don't know if you've seen it on Instagram and fitness in general. The anti-fragile movement yeah. has some good bits and bad bits. In my well, opinion. I was going to tell you about this guy. <laughs> like, I can forget his name on Instagram now. He's brilliant. I think he might be called like, I think he might be called range of strength or something. I don't know the, he's in, I can't remember his handle, but basically there's like videos of him doing like a deadlift of like, I don't know, something crazy, like 220 kilos or something from an 18 inch deficit. Oh, his right. back is like beyond rounded. Yeah. You know, like like it's, a Jefferson curl style. Ridiculous, yeah. Kilo, yeah. And he literally lifts it up and his, and, and his comments are like, there are no weak positions, just, just train know, them. Just not, not untrained positions. Yeah. And I, I, I love that. Comment. There's a guy called beard, the best that you can be. He's like mm-hmm. a 40 year old guy with like a big beard and he's all about like mobility training, but it's again, it's strength through range of motion. So yeah. it's like, it's that piece, isn't it? As you said, train the range you're using yeah. and you've got to use your head and be smart with like progressive overload. You don't just do that yeah, yeah, training, yeah, yeah. but you're right in that you can do it. You just need to train it. Yeah. Cool. That's enough on that. Um, on to our workout then guys, which is yeah more on the mindset side of things. So we've got, um, the topic of how do you prepare mentally for a tough workout? <laughs> And this was always my weakness. Yeah. I, I'm not a fan of it. We've all been there. Um, yeah. You know, it's third week of the, no, usually first week of the Open is the, the graph, don't it? First week of the Open, 21, 15, 21 18, 15, 12, 9, 6, 3 of thrusters and birthday of a There's a certain level of uh, anxiety and tension that goes through everybody's That's a fifth day. week workout. I've ever yeah, had it. I mean, remember when the Open was five weeks? Like that was when it was shite. Yeah, because you're just literally putting yourself in the cave twice a week for five weeks. And uh, so, yeah, how do you prepare for those situations? And I've come up with uh, three reasons why I think that people, um, or main reasons, you can put them into buckets, for example, of why people get scared when workouts are announced or they turn up at the gym and there's a workout. Or, for example, you know, you get a a competition, you turn up and there's this workout. So... Uh, the first reason is that people are scared of the outcome um, and that there might be a potential failure within, within the outcome. So, you know, you have a set time in mind that you need to get or want to get based upon other people's scores or, you know, you're at a competition, so you need a certain time in order to get there and you're potentially scared that your best won't reach your expectation. Uh, that's the first reason. The second reason, I believe... Uh, that people find these workouts mentally challenging is the actual physical pain of the workout. Uh, And there is an associated level of pain with some of these workouts. You know, being in CrossFit, it is an anaerobic sport. Anaerobic sports are painful. I would argue it's a threshold sport. Threshold sport. Depending on the workout. But yeah, a pain workout would be like a sprint piece, yeah. Yeah. Grace. Um, 
And then the last reason, last bucket is that they're not prepared for the workout or scared of the unknown. So potentially something news announced or a weight that they've not hit before and so on. So those are your three buckets in terms of reasons why I think people get scared or potentially struggle mentally before a tough workout. And then um, me and John are gonna go into some uh, solutions or some some techniques that you can use to help get through those. Well, why don't you start us off, Max, with that scared of the outcome of potential failure? Because for you who've like been to semifinals now several times as a team, and regionals back when it was regionals. Like, how did you personally overcome that when you're performing at that level, especially when the open is literally like, you need the score to get to that stage? Yes. <laughs> no, I'm not very good at this, by the way, but I'm trying to be better. Um, so I think the first one, when you're scared of the outcome, like you see times posted, you're not sure whether it's going to be good, your best is going to be good enough. I think the first thing we have to recognize is that we cannot control the outcome of a workout. There's so much that goes into it, you know, pacing, timing, how you've ate, how you've slept, whether the movements are good for you, whether we can't control how good other people are either. So there's so much that we can't control. So my response or what I would try and do in that situation is to let go of the result and focus purely on my effort. So I can't control whether I get seven minutes on this workout or 10, but what I can control is whether I give it my best effort. And if I'm get to the end of the workout and I'll give it my best effort, I can be proud no matter whether I'll get seven minutes or 10 minutes. Um, that is my first sort of reaction to dealing with that. However, it is difficult to, to, to sort of wrestle that back sometimes, I will admit. It's difficult when you start leaderboarding as well, because then you're yeah. also focused on everybody else rather than yourself. Yeah. And you can't control that either. You can, as you said, you can only control your input. And the thing with the Open, is if we use that as the um, example, is that at least you have the four or five days to submit the score, yeah. which is why you will see people do it on the first day it's released and do it again on the last day. Yeah. Because the first day is a trial. And when I see people come in and they're like, yeah, I'm just going to do it again. And you're like, well, what are you going to do differently? I'm just going to do it again. Yeah. It's like, you should not be doing this again. Yeah. Because the first one is an experiment. And then the second one, you need to learn from that and yeah. adjust it. And I mean, I was um, a member of the training plan um, programming back when we were in the open this year, just because I wanted to get a bit fitter before strength in depth. And then I stayed on it. And the thing that I loved about that is that the guy who runs it, Yami, is just like such a nerd when it comes to like programming Cerebral. and pacing. So yeah. what they'll do is that they'll like, they'll measure the people who do the announcement and like measure all their pacing and everything. And then they'll create graphs and tables and charts that you can then go in and edit on a Google doc oh, to be okay. like, oh, I'm going to like try and, you know, when I came in to redo that workout, it was yeah. the chip. Yeah. I was like, Max, I need to be off of this by this time. Yeah, 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 yeah. That was what that was from. Yeah. I was like, right, I know that I can pace that. But the only way that I knew my pace on all of those different movements was the fact that I've been just been doing it for years, yeah. right? And and the first time you do the open, you want to go in with a certain strategy, and then the second time you need to adjust that in order to improve. But if you don't push to failure, as in like if you don't ever redline and and massively get it wrong, you never know what you could achieve. Yeah. So you've kind of got to occasionally in your training go, I am going to go as fast as I physically can. And if I fail, I At least fail I've learned, because yeah, I yeah. need to learn what my limit is here. Yeah, love that. So you go into the next one then, Johnny, um, in terms of worried about this, the physical pain of the workout. Um, that is my worst part. Yeah, go on. What, how would you, what would you do in that situation? I think the thing is in this, right, is that like, because we've, we've said a lot of the times training isn't competing mm. and, and something that I would 
see more of this programming, just to give you a bit of feedback live on air, mm. would be more pain training. Mm. Sorry, guys, because it's not pleasant, but like proper pain training. And, and the reason I use pain is because in the OPEX model, they call it like pain, gain, and sustain. So like mm. gain is weightlifting, sustain is aerobic training, and pain is anaerobic. And what they do with their anaerobic training is they start very, very short. I, I prefer breathe, build, and beast. That's fine. And that's good because you have your own terminology then that your <laughs> members understand them yeah, what yeah. the pace is. But the thing with pain is that you start short and you elongate it out towards maybe like two, three, four minutes max. Mm. And the goal is like full on high effort. Like I'm mm. going to go as fast as I physically can for this time frame. Because, uh, but then you have a massive amount of rest. So like if you do a 10 second assault bike sprint, you're not going again in 30 seconds. You're mm. going again in like two minutes. Yeah, It's like 12 times the rest. And the rest reduces as the time elongates because again, you're in a slightly different energy system. It's not like purely um, anaerobic power. And you're going more into like lactic and all that. But the the key point is that you're practicing very, 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 very hard, like 95 to 100% effort and then resting so that you can do that again. And then if you have the great breathe training or sustain training and you go from like long to short, you eventually like meet around like that two to four minute mark that then like you're great at pacing eight to 20 minute net cons. Mm. But it's having that pain training there that it's really like quite hard and you do end up like blood in your mouth, like mm. proper knackered, like at the end of a session when you've done enough repeats, you know, you're taking on like simple sugars. Like my favorite was a San Pellegrino lemonade at the end of a pain session back in the day. Um, oh, don't tell me that's a reward, a food reward. It wasn't a food reward. <laughs> this was back in my massively disordered eating phase. Ah, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was more of a case of like, because I was so yeah, yeah, drained yeah. from pain training. And that's the thing, like it's painful. Yeah. It drains you and it's a fit, it's a sport. So it, you look back at thing. your training history yeah. and say, I've done harder, you know, I've done, I've, or I've done hard workouts like this before and I'll be okay. And, and it's training, getting used to that pain. So yeah. then like, if you can do pain training properly and then sustain training properly, and then you meet in the middle for a competition style pace, it's like, right, I'm going to hold my anaerobic threshold. Mm. So like, let's say it's an eight minute Metcon you're probably going to hold a pace that you'd hold for like a two minute assault like interval, but the, you, the, that's like a repetitive interval. So that's more like high aerobic anaerobic threshold. Mm. But at least when you've, when you've trained your pain system, you get used to it. And also you, you, you've got a fifth gear. Yeah. So when people are like, oh man, I just started to die towards the end of the workout. It's just not enough pain training. Yeah. Anaerobic threshold training. Yeah. Me personally, I, I like to do this technique called an if, when, then plan when I know it's going to really hurt. Um, and I usually, because I've got a little bit of experience now, I'll know when the workout's going to really like hit you in the face, you know, like in that 21, 18, 15, 12, you know, it was kind of like the 15s. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you'll know. The 15s so I'll, and the 12s. So I'll be like. The nine, six, threes are like, yeah, that's one set. Yeah, like, I'll done. Yeah. So I'll, I'll be like planning before the workout. This has helped me reduce my anxiety about the workout anyway. Mm -hmm. So I'll be like, I've got a plan. Mm -hmm. My plan will be like, I know it's going to be really tough on those 15s. It's going to be really hard. Um, if I get to those 15s and I feel atrocious, then I'm going to say to myself these words. I'll have like a plan in my head. And that might be different based on, you know, the day, the workout, whatever. Invariably with me, it's like the team needs me to respond here. Tara mm. needs me to perform and, and look strong. Whatever. Jack needs me to set the bar. Mm. You know, for me, it's like about doing it for other people, having a like a, a why for my training and how I attack these workouts. 
and then I make sure I'm prepared to deliver that why to myself when mm -hmm. I need it most. Mm -hmm. So I'll look at, you know, for example, um, you know, in semis, I'm trying to think now, in semis, the only really like absolutely gassy, horrible workout that we were going to do was the ski okay. and dumbbells. Mm -hmm. And my if, when, then going into that was like, if I get to the last round and I feel like shit and I can't ski very fast, I'm, I know that I need to sprint those ski cows so that I can be prepared for dumbbells because Tara is going to be weak on the dumbbells. So I need to be prepared for being able to hold at the top four and things like that. Yeah. So in my head, it's like having a plan of if something, if you feel a certain way at a certain point, what do you do? then say something. Yeah. yeah. And, and like, I do ridiculous stuff like Jacqueline and Tara will tell you, like uh, one of the years I was into uh, Vikings. Right. And I love that scene when Ragnar comes back for those of you who don't watch Vikings, this ain't going to make sense. But I don't. I you don't watch so. it? No. Basically, the big chief leaves right. for a bit, Yeah. the village, and all his sons, they like get a bit big for their boots and they start taking control. Mm -hmm. And they're all thinking about overthrowing the chief, mm. the dad, Ragnar. when he returns, Ragnar. Ragnar returns, and they're all like a bit big for their boots. And he literally says to him, like, he looks him in the eye every single morning, he goes, so who wants to be king? Like that. And he's like calling him out and saying, who's man enough? And I, I, I love that moment. It like resonated with me. Right. So I was saying to Jack before a workout, right, at this stage, I'm going to feel like shit. You're going to shout at me. Who wants to be king? And I'm going to respond, I am. I want to. Yeah. <laughs> so I like had a plan in my head. Fair enough, yeah. On stupid shit like that, like films, music, whatever. But yeah, That's I think having a plan helps. Yeah. Uh, having a plan helps. And I mean, that, that, that leads into point three, isn't it? About like yeah. preparation of the workout and the unknown. Um, and that's where like training for different variables comes in. Yeah. But as you said there, physical pain of, if you know, again, it comes from preparation and training, but then, so then if you can look at a workout and know your ability to like really well, like know yourself inside out and you know that that's going to be the hard part, certain mm. affirmations like that are going to help you like, okay, I've got this strategy. If that happens, I'm going to do this. Mm. And then it, when it starts to hurt, I'm going to tell myself this, you know, one more rep, one more rep, one more rep. Like I heard that from someone once where they were like with a war ball, he was just always saying, just one more rep, just one yeah. more rep, one more rep, one more mm. rep. Oh, I'm done. Okay, straight, to, you know, straight to the next thing, like no rest, don't rest on the transition. And I'm like, short breaks, short breaks, short breaks. And it was like, but that is from planning and preparation. Yeah. Mega. Okay. And then like, yeah, the last bucket, I suppose you talked about this yourself um, in sort of preparation and training, but I, I like to, I want to come at this from a different angle. So if there's, for example, a, uh, an unknown element in the workout, let's say like, um, a weight that you've not hit before or a movement that you've not done before. Um, I think diving back into your training history is a useful tool. So it might be pirouettes that you've not done before, but let's say you have done some handstand walking and you have gone around cones before, you know, looking at that and going, actually, I was okay with, with those, so I'll do my best. Let's say, I think, I think the reason it's useful to look back is for two reasons. One, if you have got the history, you can go, I've done that, you know, I've snatched 70 before, 75 will be fine. Or I've done handsome walk around the cones, pirouettes will be fine. If you look back in your history and go, I haven't done any of these things, it actually still works because all you do then is lower your expectations hmm. and you go, chances are I'm probably not going to get any pirouettes. I'll give it a go, but if I don't get them, I don't get them. Yeah, it you know? a bonus. Exactly. And I think that helps you deal with unknown movements, unknown workouts, because you can go either, yes, I've got a catalogue of these things that I've done before in the past, or no, I haven't. And therefore, I shouldn't really be expecting to 
come in and you know smash it yeah how much can you relate your experience already to the workout at hand even if it's a different combo or a different time frame yeah you can say my 10 minute pacing for something like this would be this and okay it's these different movements but i know that my max on that movement is this and it's only that rep scheme and yeah but that's it's just that's why it's so key i think for not just to take logs of your training mm. um which obviously is managed here through boxmate and that's very helpful to look at like previous scores but even just a, a knowledge of your own your, your own stuff yeah right? like and you keep your benchmark how you pay yeah, well yeah. just how you pace workouts what your yeah. muscle endurance is like you know like mm. how many people know their max effort like toes to bar and mm. and um just different things like that and dumbbell thrusters and stuff and then being able to compare com- compare and just know then your muscle endurance like maxes of like when that starts to fatigue and peak and you're like okay so if i need to do this many and i want to stay um fluid i think that's the thing that a lot of people get wrong is that they don't take rests early enough in workouts mm-hmm. like you could probably break things down into smaller sets and thereby your sets are going to be very fluid you're going to move very well the better you move the less energy you leak um just through like exhaustion and then you take a shorter amount of rest you know you can count the rest in your head and then you get back up and you do the same set mm-hmm. you know, same set same set of the same set rather than like doing a max effort set and then be like oh man i need to rest and then you've redlined mm. and it's game over. Yeah. Yeah. It's very hard to come back from failure in, in a energy system movement and mental. And then sometimes in training, you need to yeah. do it. Yeah. Like I, I had a um, time in the open way back when, where it was, um, do you remember the workout? It was like 50, 40, 30, 20, 10 of dumbbell snatches and burpee box over jumps. I do. No. Right. So at that the time. The backbreaker at the time, because nobody yeah. could hinge. No. Because CrossFit kept on teaching everyone to use their legs, use your legs. And you then dumbbell like yeah. flex back. Yeah. So I didn't actually have back issues in that. I think I, I, I stayed pretty well, but what I did do was completely redline my first attempt, mm. but it was on purpose. Right. Because again, it's, I, because it yeah. was one of those, like, I'm so like against pain. I was like, I don't know if I'm sandbagging my workouts. Yeah. And so my coach was like, well, just try it. Yeah. Go as, go as fast as you physically think you can. And let's see where you red line. It was actually the other way around. It was 10. Was it? 20, 30, 40, 50, yeah, I think. Which makes it even worse, doesn't yeah. it? Because then it's like, oh shit, yeah. I've got 15 minutes to go. It was yeah, 10, 20, 30, 40, out. 50, and then 15 burpee box after every set. I got capped out the first time, but then that, what that allowed me to do was go, right, on my repeat, mm. I'm going to pace it. Mm. And then I'll try and... Something that the OPEX methodology taught as well was like, try to... Um, get faster, almost like negative splits when you mm-hmm. have something like that. So you're almost like you're thriving rather than surviving. Yeah. And that's a cool thing to think of sometimes. Sick. Right guys. So, um, yeah, covered a lot of ground there. Hope you found that, uh, episode interesting. We hope you've enjoyed this whole mindset block. Um, I certainly have come, enjoyed going through it with you, Johnny, the thought block mindset block um we yeah are going to move into the movement block and sort of some things that you can uh look forward to in that block would be like biomechanics gait breathing how we're supposed to how we're technically supposed to move compensations traditional compensations for most people so on and so forth so got some cool ideas about stuff that's coming up that sweet um see you soon bye everyone Thank you for listening to the Shire Fit Podcast with Max and Johnny. Don't forget to like and subscribe, and we will see you next week for another episode.